0: the work ethic confidence um, that's been instilled in me my entire life from my parents who immigrated to this country. I mean, it was, you either work or you don't eat. So it was not just a point of pride, but a necessity um, in, in my family and in our lives. So um, that part got it unlocked.
1: I'm Julie Alexandria.
2: And I'm Jennifer Mercedes. Between the two of us, we have over two decades of experience working in professional sports. We're telling the stories of women who are at the top of their game in sports and business. Welcome to The Locker Room.
1: From dancer to Miami Dolphins cheerleader to regional sports reporter to anchor of NFL Network's premier headline show, NFL Total Access, MJ Acosta Ruiz knows a thing or two about taking a chance and betting on herself. It is an absolute pleasure to have you here, MJ. Thank you so much for joining us here in the locker room. I have not seen you since our days in San Diego. It seems like forever.
0: That was like a parallel universe ago, uh, Julie, but I'm so excited to be here with you guys. Our own locker room. I've I've been like waiting for this moment, truly. (laughs) Oh,
1: I love it. We are so happy. Happy to have you here for so many reasons, and we're going to get into it. Let, let's just start off. You know, one thing that has always struck me, in addition to your megawatt smile and your incredible energy, is your beautiful and strong sense of confidence. Where does that come from? Is that something that's learned? Is that something that you're inherently born with? Because I feel like it's something that you have taken with you every step of the way, and it just shines through.
0: Uh, uh, oh, my God. So we're going to get deep real quick. I see here and the, the talk. Um, it, it's so it's so crazy and like funny that you mentioned that right off the top because there are a lot of moments where I find that to be an internal contradiction for me. Like I am very confident in my work ethic and what I bring to the table in in so many aspects of the the technical part of my job. Right, like I'm I'm going to be in there and I'm going to work harder than everybody else and in those things I'm very confident. But inherently in in me and. In MJ, um, that has been and continues to be a, a very slow journey to get to that like place of self-love. And I do think that self-love and confidence go hand in hand in many ways. So um, I'm still learning that part to answer your question. But the work ethic confidence, um, that's been instilled in me my entire life from my parents who immigrated to this country. I mean, it was you either work or you don't eat. So it was not just a point of pride, but a necessity um, in, in my family and in our lives. So um, that part got it on lock. The other side of it, still working, still growing, still learning. Uh-oh. Now,
2: speaking of your family and that influence, as a Dominicana from the Heights, fellow Dominicana yes. right here, what role did your family play in in your life and, and in the person that you are today?
0: Yeah, I mean, they've, they've played probably the, the most pivotal leading role um, in my life, without question. I mean, my family is part of everything that I do, um, for better or worse. I know that they're going to give me the tough love, the uh, very unfiltered uh, reality of what's going on and what they see uh, but it all comes from a, a from a good place of them just wanting me to have a better life than they did than both my parents did in the Dominican Republic you know they they came here for that better life for that dream giving up everything that they had built and so that is always at the the forefront of my mind whenever I do something it's, it's making sure that I make it count for them to hopefully get to a day when I can tell them sit down you're done you're good I
2: think a lot of us, (laughs) yeah, I think a lot of us have that same dream. I mean, I know that's one of my goals, right? Like that's, that's that's the top of the bucket list is Mm -hmm. retire your parents, especially uh, when, when they're immigrants and they come here, they have to work so hard, like double or triple as hard as everybody else. I think, yeah, I think that that's a dream and a goal that a lot of us have.
0: Yeah. It's interesting though, with this career though, because, because they have that in them and that like, we just want you to be stable and safe and, and sort of set in life. Um, it was tough for them to sort of understand why I wanted to go into this very crazy and unpredictable world of, of broadcast and journalism and entertainment. Um, yeah. they, they just wanted me to sort of follow a path that was very safe and secure for, for all of those reasons. They wanted the very best for me. But even in their concern, they were still unbelievably supportive um, in every single turn, mainly because they knew I was going to do it anyway. Uh, so. <laughs> oh, <literally>. Same.
2: <laughs> Uh, a lot of cultures see that same thing as far as uh, wanting their ch- children to do something that's very secure. As a journalist, I mean, I'm sure the same with you. It took a while. It, it oh. took, it's taken a while, you know, for us to break down these doors and be where we are today. So yeah, I mean, I totally get it. So let's talk about a point of the
1: career that we've all experienced. And that is that it can be a very lonely place because oftentimes you pick up from your home and you have to relocate to cover a team, to cover a city, whatever it may be. Can you take us back and take us through what that was like for you
0: in some of those quiet moments? It was a real start, you know, and granted, like I had friends who are in the broadcast business who went to like I don't know, the middle of America, I can't even, you know, towns that we'll never ever recognize. So, like, we were lucky in that sense, Julie, that we went to San Diego, California, pretty beautiful city, but still it wasn't home. And when you leave, like, you and I both come from the East Coast, like very big cities, New York, Miami. I was very lucky enough to start my career in Miami, in my hometown, where my parents, you know, were 45 minutes away from me. Um, And so, as a young journalist, you know, at some point, you're likely going to have to leave that box, that bubble that you know, that comfort zone. So I was ready to do that. What I wasn't ready for was what you described, sort of that isolation, that going to a place where you don't know a single soul and you're trying to show your merit. You're trying to earn your credibility while at the same time you're, you're sort of processing and sometimes compartmentalizing all of these feelings of, of loneliness and insecurity and just trying to figure it out, trying to make it. But then you got to be on. All the time right so like our literal job was to be this all the time and so it, it for me it was such it was a, such a stark juxtaposition to go from being on all the time and then going back to my apartment by myself and like just like being in like the fetal position quite literally uh not knowing like what was going to happen the next day am i doing the right thing was this the right choice good lord like why did i leave all of those feelings and that's very real and journalists specifically goes through this all the time. when you mention that sort of um we don't know what's coming next, right when you talk about becoming a lawyer or a doctor, there's very specific metrics that you have to hit to become that next step in your career right For us in the broadcast space it's very subjective. so mm-hmm. if a news director loves you, great, you're good you're in there. If that person for whatever reason leaves and somebody else comes along, you could literally lose your job at the end of that contract period and you don't know. It's mm-hmm. so fleeting, which part of it is, you know, the draw, sort of like the excitement, like, no, I got this. Don't worry. But it is very scary still to this point, right? Like I'm, a, I'm at the national network level. You just never know. So betting on yourself, that part, learning to sort of be okay in that loneliness, which yeah, that doesn't make sense. It, it does. No, none of it makes sense. make it make sense. I'm still trying <laughs> to learn that. I'm, very, I'm 37 years old. I still don't know what that means but you know that it's always sort of inherently going to be a part um, of your journey um, through broadcast. It's, it's scary. Um, and most of us don't, don't make it to sort of this level. I didn't know that I was going to make it to the level where I was aspiring to. I just sort of was a little engine that could until you tell me otherwise. And I'm still in that space.
2: Do you still feel that need to hustle?
0: i Yes. Are you kidding? Every day, literally every day is a hustle. Like I'm hosting a daily show on a national network covering my favorite sport. And it's huge. And I take a lot of gratitude and I try to be as present as possible every day. Like, okay, yeah, this is real life. Like I've worked over a decade to get to this point, but then the very, very uh, sort of street side of me is like, all right, but what else are you working on to diversify your revenue streams, which is something they don't tell you about. In journalism school or when you get into this industry, um, how are you having passive income? How are you investing in things to make sure that in that very subjective world, if somebody comes in and says, yeah, that MJ girl, mm, I'm not digging her, that I'm going to be okay no matter what. Um, yeah. And so it's always a hustle girl.
2: When you were coming in, coming up um, in this industry, was there ever another woman in the in the industry that was your mentor? I'm sure that you are a mentor now to to others, but was there ever somebody there for
0: you? Yeah, there was a couple of people. I mean, one of my professors was um, at Barry University, Connie Hicks. Uh, she was a longstanding um, local news anchor in the Miami market. Um, and she, I mean, she was as, as tough on me as you could possibly imagine, but I knew it's because she saw how much more I needed to grow, and she saw the growth potential in me. So I took every single thing she threw at me, but we also had really deep conversations about what I really wanted out of my life, out of my career balance. And to this day, she's she's one of those people that I always reference, top of mind. Um, and then um, one of my very best friends in life and in this industry, Joy Taylor, we went to college together, both took class with Connie Hicks, that's how we met. Um, and she has been a peer mentor Every step of the way and vice versa, right? Um, I mean, it, it's been such a blessing to have somebody who is literally going through the same things you are um, in your career, who understands the nuances of what happens, not just in broadcast, but in sports broadcast specifically. Um, and, you know, I, I never take her point of view and her friendship um, for granted uh, because it has been such, such an advantage um, just having one another.
2: You know what's something that I really like about you and and Joy and a lot of other women um who've been coming up in the industry is that you guys have made it okay to be cute to be fashionable. <laughs> At, be smart yeah. at the same time and know what you're talking about because I feel like, you know, back, it, I mean, not even that long ago and, and there still are a lot of men who believe, you know, women should be a specific way, look a specific mm-hmm. way in order to be taken seriously, right? And and it's not like, we're, it's not being over-sexualized, but it's like, we can still be fashionable without being sexualized in the industry, right? Like, there, there's so much nuances with, that come with that, but I, I feel like you and Joy um, specifically because your women that I follow have made a cool for us to look cool. You know, it's like, it, yes, we can wear hoop earrings. Yes, we can wear our hair curly. And I'm sure that Julie's going to get into this more, but like, it's important. It's an important aspect of the industry as well. So I want to thank you ladies for for that.
0: Yeah, it's been interesting because my entire time, like I, I, I think people think I became a cheerleader, a Miami Dolphins cheerleader. And then I became a reporter. I was 28 when I became a Miami Dolphins cheerleader. So I was already in the business. I was already reporting. I was already hosting um, so I was doing both at the same time. And that is a very direct reflection of, of sort of what I stand for. You don't have to strip away your femininity or mm-hmm. your masculinity or your non or whatever it is that you are inherently does not equate um, your qualification for this job. So whoever you are and however you come to the party, that is not only okay, but it's needed in the space. So if you want to come in here and I want to wear my Hope earrings and my red lips, then guess what? I can still talk ball just like everybody else. And so I think stripping away those very archaic industry standards um, have always been sort of very important to me. Like, stop it. Just because you think I should look a certain way, I'm sorry. <laughs> who, who, who named you, like, the grand poobah of my life?
1: <laughs> <Don't recall laughs> but was that something, like, is that something that comes with experience? Or was that because... I would imagine, and I want to talk hair for a minute because we're ladies and we like to talk hair because when I met you, you wore your hair straight. And there was a moment then when you started to pepper in wearing your natural um, texture. And as a female, as a woman, as a woman of color who's on camera, there are so many expectations that are set for the way we have to look and there are so many asks that are made of us god forbid you're working on a green screen the curls are very difficult to work with but like at what point did you make that decision i'm going to be my authentic self i'm going to wear the hoop earrings i'm going to wear the red lipstick if i want to and i'm going to wear my natural texture
0: yeah uh it was in it was in san diego actually and it was it, so here's part of like the cultural shift right like i was in miami before where i'm dominican as you know different like we mm-hmm. had i had all the dominican hairstylists that could. Their, their like, point of pride is being able to suppress that hair, girl, make it straight as possible. You're going to have the best of your life. It was a cultural thing. It was almost a rite of passage for me as a kid to get my hair chemically straightened, right? Because the mindset was the more Eurocentric you look, the more successful and the more acceptable you will be. And that doesn't just go for communities of color. This is what the mainstream media tells us and feeds us. From the moment we enter this, this planet. Um, so it's very hard to sort of undo that mind bleep. Um, as you're, especially coming into the industry. Then you get into broadcast and there's like thousand consultants that, you know, your, your station or your managers bring in to tell you, you have to look like this. But all the other people that are in the little boxes on the screen look like this. So if you don't look like that, you're never going to make it. So that's what I, well, that's what I did. I feel like that's what I had to do. Fast forward to San Diego where there were there was no one who knew how to handle all this. I, I still don't know how to handle it. You know what I named my <laughs> pro. It's Angela. Yes. She has her own. I remember you asked me if there was because
1: anybody that I could recommend gave a good blowout.
0: Yeah, it was um, and it was impossible. So I was doing so what what happened was it was getting very, very damaged. And I often speak about like sort of having to fit yourself in that box and it eats away a piece of you, like a part of you dies. A part of me was literally dying and it was my hair. It was so damaged by that point because I had to do it myself. And it's just you're running around, you're going to practices, you're going to games, you have to be on air, you have to like put all of this heat on it. I would brush it, ladies, and it would like wither away at the mm-hmm. end. I was like, y'all, I'm about to be bald. Then what? <laughs> then what am I going to do? So one day I was like, you know what? I'm just going to let it breathe. Um, and then I let it breathe for like a day too long. And I was like, shoot. I got to get to the station. It's going to take me like three hours to blow dry my hair. I don't have that time. So I was like, well, this is what it's going to be today. And I was, I literally thought I was going to throw up before I walked into the news station. I was like, what's my boss going to say? What are the viewers going to say? But like, I, there's literally no time. <laughs> there's no time. So this is what it is. And I was shocked at the positive response. Everyone was like, what? We didn't even know your hair was curly. Like, why? how would you? I'd never wore it like this before. Mm-hmm. And I was like, all right, bet. I'm going to ride this train as long as possible. And like the shift in how I felt about myself being authentically who I was. I mean, every, I felt like my entire life changed from that moment. I mean, I know it seems sort of trivial, right? Like, oh, it's just there, but especially for us, no. it, it's a lot. This is the first thing you see. This is, if you're hearing it right, you're not going to feel right that day.
2: No, girl, it is not trivial at all. And I completely relate in the sense, because, I mean, I I live in Jersey and grew up here. I mean, and there's Dominican salons Mm -hmm. everywhere. You know, I mean, I grew up getting my hair done in the Heights. So, I mean, like, it was never an issue. When I moved to Chicago um, two years ago for this job, the first thing that I before I even moved, I was like, "Where is there a Dominican salon? Like, because mm. the, like if there is not a Dominican salon, what am I gonna do? What like do, should I buy a wig? Like, like what <laughs> am I gonna do with this hair? Like, those are the things that go through your mind because these edges need to be blow dried, like very, you know what I mean? Like, right. like. <laughs> like like it's very it's very important, yes, and it's real. And like that's the first thing that I did, and and I, I ended up like finding two different ones, and I was great. And I'm like, thank the Lord, because right. if not, I mean, I would have damaged my own hair because yeah, I would have been doing it myself all the time.
0: And listen, it was not, it was not cute at first. This transition. I mean, she's thriving now, but that was in 2017, January. I'll never forget. January 2017 was when I said, okay, I'm not, I'm not gonna straight. I have not heat styled it. Since more in twenty twenty one at this point, point. Um, and it was it was rough because it was so damaged. So it would like curl and then be like straight and then be like mm-hmm. frizzy and then be like this side will grow but this side wouldn't grow. And I was like, well, there's no turning back now. Like I'm in it, so I had to like sort of like white knuckle through the very awkward <laughs> little pro phase. But we've we've evolved. Angela has uh, definitely sort of um, repaid me um, for for all of my efforts. <laughs>
1: You have done your fair share of celebrity interviews as well as huge pro-athlete interviews. But the one thing that got me, and I have to ask you about this photo, it's your header on your Twitter account. And it's got you interviewing J-Lo and Shakira. I'm assuming what was before their performance, their dual performance for the Super Bowl in 2019. Tell me about that interview. What was that like? I want all the details.
0: I mean, no other, short of like Beyonce and or Oprah, like there's no, there's no topic that truly. No. Um, it was the week of the Super Bowl. So I, and I, the second it was announced, so like the, the halftime performance for Super Bowl is announced sometime in October during the season. I immediately, emi- when I tell you, I immediately emailed like the top bosses, like, hi, how are you? This is why I should do this interview. <laughs> X, Y, like reasons A through Z, and then we started all over again. I, I just, I wanted to make sure that um this moment, like this was huge. with two mega Latinas who I have followed my entire life. Um and I didn't know if they would say yes, but I was like, I'm gonna shoot my shot and they did and I was like, Oh shit, we're in it now. Okay, got it. Uh we're doing this. And then I said, Well that, one of the main reasons I said is I think it's very important for us to reach the Latino audience. Like, I need to be able to do this interview in Spanish as well. There was nobody else at the network who, who could do that. Um, so I was really pushing for that and we did. We did it both. So I had ten ten to fifteen minutes exclusively with J Lo and Shakira in the same room. And when I tell you I mean First of all, they're goddesses among us. Like, this isn't fair. (laughs) All women were not created equal. It's very obvious. Like, when they walked into the room. Jail specifically, I kid you not, you guys. The girl. It was a real, literal girl. She, like, floated into the room. I thought I was going (laughs) to pass out. And this was pre-pandemic, right? So we're literally, like, this close. Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, my God, I'm not worthy. They could not have been nicer. They were so so cool, so open to everything, and my favorite part was when we switched, This is the English version first, I was like, all right, we're going to do the Spanish language, I don't know if they thought like an interpreter or whatever, but the second I switched and started speaking in Spanish, they both went, like, it was like a noticeable, like, oh, okay, <laughs> um, and like that, I'll never, I'll never forget that moment, and JLo lo after was like, well done, sweetie, I was like, are we still rolling? Did oh, my God, yeah, can you, did you get that on that? video? <laughs> I have yet to see the raw footage
2: of it. But- <laughs> oh, no, let me tell you, That's when I saw today. that, when I saw that you were doing that interview, when when I saw that, I was, I mean, as a fellow Dominican Latina, and, and like Issa Rae says, I'm rooting for everybody Black. I'm rooting for everybody Black, everybody <laughs> Latina, everybody yeah. Dominican specifically. So when I saw that, I'm like, you go, girl. Like, that is such a big moment for you and mm-hmm. your career and for us as Latinas, as a representation like I said it matters for me the yeah. person that I saw growing up was Selena Toribio and she was the one that I could see that was like I can do that like I can see myself and so you've become that person now and specific like when you're interviewing J-Lo and Shakira the two people who freaking killed it at the Super Bowl like oh killed my it. god what a moment for you I mean it was amazing I still like get chills because it was such a big moment
0: Julie you know exactly what these like press boxes are like right it's very predominantly male predominantly white male mm-hmm. so no different at the super bowl right so I'm, we're ready right i've done the interview i'm like hype as hell like we basically got free seats to this like halftime show no one in that press box was paying attention and then here i am like <laughs> like living my best life in the and everyone's like type, type type <laughs> type type type, type, type. I mean, I was—I I thought I was going to lose my mind. I was like, "Why are you guys not hyped about this?" I was like, "Even if you don't understand, like the music, like bruh, it's still J Lo and Shakira out there. Like y'all, y'all all right?"
2: Girl, I almost cried. I was like, I almost had tears. I'm like, "Is this like for real right now?" Oh my
0: god! I was doing J Lo. <laughs> I did not care. They were not gonna take that moment for me. I was like, this isn't for you anyway. Whatever. I'm here. (laughs) One of my bosses is sitting like a few, like a couple rows in front of me, and he's just looking back, dying laughing. Like, yeah, that that seems about right. Like, what's happening right now? I was like, I don't care. This is like history right now. And none of y'all are even looking up to see what's happening. I was offended, personally. (laughs)
1: <laughs> that was an incredible moment, because if you take into consideration where we were as a people, where we were as a country, where we were as women coming out of a four year very dark, dark time, yeah, yeah. that was a moment that was a cathartic moment. moment. The future starts now, and the future is bright yeah and no that's what it meant to me watching them. I said, this is a major delineation of the bad times are behind us, and like let's usher in a new era, a new moment. But I want to go back to what you said about when you heard that these two women were headlining, that you got on your keyboard and you straight away asked your higher-ups. What does that say? And can you speak to the power of putting yourself out there and asking for what you want? Because so many women are so afraid inherently to ask yeah. for what
0: they want. What I've learned is, listen, at the, at the baseline of everything, the worst-case scenario is a no. And how many times have we heard no, more than I can count, right? So I'm like, if that's the worst case scenario, then what's stopping me from just asking? Who knows? Just shoot your shot. So like every year at the beginning of the year, I don't really make resolutions, but I pick sort of a theme for the year. And for 2020, ironically, it was be bold. Um, and it sort of started with that before we got into 2020, because this was like October. But I was like, okay, this is happening in February. I was like, I'm just going to do it. Like, If they say no, whatever, at least, but they don't know. Like, you have to stop thinking that people will automatically put you in that room, right? You have to advocate for yourself at every Mm -hmm. step. So I couldn't have sat there, like, as the only Latina at the network and been like, oh, my God, no, they're for sure going to think that, like, it just makes sense that I should be in there. Why would they? Like, they're not here for me and my my advancement. Like, I'm here to do a job. So as part of my job was making sure that I showed them These are the advantages of having me do this interview. This is why I'm the only person who could do it in two languages. We're reaching a much bigger audience, an audience that often feels very left out, especially within the NFL, even though Latinos make up a huge portion of the fan base there. So I knew all of these things. And I said, all right, this is where I can flex that muscle. And this is why it's so important for me to be here in this space. And if I don't say it, I can't expect them to just like magically know they're also not mind readers. Let me make it as easy as possible for my bosses. So that was my mentality in that. And also like, oh my God, I really want to do this interview. But I didn't know. I had no guarantees. I just like sent it out there and I was like, all right, let's see what happens. Um, and, and it worked out. But, you know, we put a lot of work and a lot of research into it. And there was a, you know, once it got approved and vetted, you know, there's a whole process, as you guys know. Um, you have to go through, you know, both of the artist um, teams and making sure that they're okay with, What you're going to bring to the table and how we're going to set things up i mean it was this whole like orchestrated thing and then i started getting nervous (laughs) like once i walked into the room um but the point of it all is you have to try now when you try make sure you're ready though like don't just start firing shots without like any aim or any vision for it i knew what i was bringing to the table and i was ready to step that up and go full in for it um and i think that's why it worked out so well because they were like well damn well she just explained the whole thing like how could we possibly say no? Even if they did, I was prepared for a no, but I knew that I had presented the best possible version uh, of what it could look like from, at least from what I knew in my mind. So they saw that um, enthusiasm and the benefit in that. And that you, you just have to be bold. It's it's gotten me a lot farther than than playing timid and like just waiting for things to happen. You have to try and go up there and get it.
2: And bet on yourself, like you said in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Continue to always yep. bet on yourself. I, when I interviewed Juan Soto um, the beginning of this year, uh, there's, a bit, there's a lot of talk about who's the best player in baseball. Is it Bryce yeah. Harper? Is it Juan Soto? Is it this, is it that? Yeah, my, and I, I asked him, who do you think is the best player? And he said, you know what? I think Mike Child is a great player. I think he's the best player in baseball. But if we're going one-on-one, don't voy a me. Siempre will and yeah. like that's the attitude that we all need to have. That's the best piece of advice I think that we can give all women in this industry is siempre at the always bet mm-hmm. on yourself.
0: Totally, totally. I mean guys do it all the time. Yeah. Every day. And they don't flinch. They don't hesitate. You know, we've always been sort of conditioned to play it safe and like know your spot and know your role and stay in your lane. Nah man. I grew up driving in Miami. Nobody stays in their lane. <laughs> 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 Or New York, for that matter.
1: (laughs) Oh, MJ, I love you so much. Thank you for this. You are absolutely phenomenal, and I am so happy. We are so excited to see everything that you do in the future. I mean, the future is yours, girl. I I see big things for you. I mean, you are killing it on NFL Network, but the sky's the limit. Thank you for joining us here in the locker room. Thank you for your time and for those gold coins because you put out some expert advice. So we
0: appreciate it. Thank you so much for joining us. This was amazing, like like a little brunch, but with no mimosas. (laughs) Next (laughs) time. Next time. (laughs) I'd rather have to earn it, and I and that's okay. It's not always fun in the moment, but it's always more rewarding when I earn somebody's trust and respect than if it's just given to me.